What I'm going to tell you right now is probably the most disgusting story you're ever going to hear. Um, I have told the, I told the story about two years ago. People were sufficiently repulsed. Um, so if you've heard it, just please laugh in all the right spots. Um, but I will tell you this. Every detail of this story is true. Um, I had a friend in high school that had like serious earwax problems. I mean, like, this dude had, like, literally, it was like Yankee Candle growing out of his ears, okay? And so the problem was, like, you know, whatever. If some dude has an earwax thing, that's his own business. The problem with him was, I mean, him and I, he lived across the street from me, and the guy couldn't hear anything. So I would, we, I would, he would always call people by the wrong name, movies by the wrong name. In, in fact, uh, for the first six months that I dated my wife, um, he called her Corey. And I'm like, listen, her name is Carrie, not Corey. And he's like, that's what I said. And so anyway, I was like, forget it. Well, one day, I just couldn't take it anymore. We were in uh, my, uh, my friend Alan's uh, car. It was probably my best friend from high school. He was driving. Uh, my friend Drew was in the passenger seat uh, riding shotgun. And then I was behind him in the passenger seat. Earwax boy was in the middle. And then um, my friend Jordy was on the other side. And uh, so um, <laughs> so, we, uh, so we're talking, and I say something. Jordy and I and my buddy, are, are, who remains nameless, uh, we're talking, and I say something to him, and he's like, what? What did you say? And I'm like, dude, I'm like three inches away from you, and you can't hear me? No. And I said, that's it. And I said, we were just pulling out of the parking lot. And I said, Alan, stop the car. Go in your house. And I want you, I want 20 Q-tips and a bottle of rubbing alcohol. I'm taking care of this business right now. And I proceeded um, to clean out this guy's ears. I mean, like you could have eaten off of these ears when it was uh, afterwards, not before, not before. Before you could have like greased a Teflon pan. But after, uh, afterwards, I mean, it was, I mean, his ears were as clean as any other humans. And, um. Uh, but here's the thing, my, my friend uh, Jordy, he's like a big, he's a big rock star now, and I remind him of this, but he, um, uh, I, he threw up. In this whole process, he actually opened the door and just puked, um, and which is part of what makes the story just so gross. And uh, now, I will say this in his defense to why he threw up. I did make him hold the used Q-tips. So I was, we were working it, and I'm like, hold that, and he had like 15 just like lemon yellow crusted Q-tips. And it was just more than he could handle. And he opened up that thing and, you know, he saw his lunch for the second time. And um, so now the funny thing is, once I did that, that guy could hear a pin drop two towns away. I mean, it, it, he could hear anything. It was incredible uh, after what happened, you know. And uh, now <clears throat> when people ask me, to define friendship. What is a friend? I tell him the story of a friend valiantly cleaning his friend's ears. And I say, that, my friends, is a picture of friendship. Now, the reason I tell you that is because friendship is a sacred thing. The challenge that we have in, in America and in South Florida in particular is that we meet someone three times and we immediately say, hey, they're, they're my friend. When really you just knew them and it's like, oh, they're like, there are people that we're friends with on Facebook, right? 
There are people that I'm friends with on Facebook that I can't stand. I don't know if you have this thing. Like my arch nemesis in high school, I'm friends with him on Facebook. Like I've actually thought about running him over with my car before. Not recently, but back then. And, I, and now it's like, this person wants to be friends with you. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. The guy probably needs Jesus. And, uh, you know, and so, but the whole thing is, and I'm like, how is it that someone that I couldn't stand, now I'm willing to say that I'm friends, and it's because it's, the, the whole idea of what a friend is has been diluted. In the Jewish culture that Jesus grew up in, um, a friendship was a covenant relationship. It was a brother-like bond. And this is never truer than in the covenant of marriage. In the book, The Song of Solomon, and some of you might remember, as a few years ago, about three, four years ago, we spent about eight weeks going through the Song of Solomon uh, verse by verse. But the Song of Solomon is the story of how uh, Solomon, King Solomon, meets the love of his life. And they, they meet, they, they court, they, they get married, they do life together. It's the whole story of their lives. And you get to the end of the book, and it's them in their um, golden years looking back on the course of, of their life. But uh, there's one verse in that, whole bo- in that whole book of Song of Solomon that stands out to me uh, that I always think about. Whenever I think about the book Song of Solomon, I always think about this one verse. And I put it in your notes in chapter 5, verse 16, where she says, this is my beloved and this is my friend. That there's this picture of, uh, and, and this is what I want to focus on in our time together today, that there's this one idea, one thought, one principle, that marriage is friendship. That marriage is friendship. Because everything that we talk about in marriage is really summed up in friendship. We do life together. We listen. We make memories. We take care of each other. We forgive each other. And all of that can really be summed up in the word friendship. And husbands and wives who want their relationships to last a lifetime must become great friends. In fact, it was a uh, it's a leading sociologist wrote these words, and I want to read them to you. He said, uh, they said this, The determining factor in whether wives feel satisfied with the sex, romance, and passion in their marriage is by 70%, 70%, the quality of the couple's friendship. So then the question is, what was it um, for, for men? For men, the defining fact was, 70% of the, of the quality of the couple's friendship. And then here's what they wrote. So men and women apparently come from the same planet after all. You see, what I want to look at in the time that we have together is I want to look at the first couple. The first couple that God created and how God created them to be husband and wife, but to be friends within the context of their marriage. Because everything else in their relationship flowed from the fact that God had put them together to be friends. Because if you want a great marriage, you've got to be great friends. So I want to invite you to open with me to the book of Genesis chapter 2. And we're going to read some familiar verses, but maybe shed light on them in a new way. It's going to be Genesis chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 18, and here's what we read. It says, And the Lord God said, It's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the year, brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. And so Adam gave names to all the cattle, to every bird of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper 
comparable to him. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, there's three things that I want to tell you in this message about friendship within marriage. But the first thing that I want to tell you in the verses that we just read is that a friend in marriage rescues my loneliness. A friend in marriage rescues my loneliness. <clears throat> if you read Genesis, and I really hope you'll take the time to read the whole Bible, but maybe you take some time to read the first few chapters of Genesis. There's a poetry that goes on uh, in the first two chapters in how God creates everything. There's a cadence and a rhythm to how Moses writes these, these opening chapters. And the reason he writes them for this is not just for poetry, but for the sake uh, and the reason in this in a Jewish culture, you would write this way to assist in memorization. But he writes and he says that it's the first day. Here's what God created. God said it was good. Evening and morning, the first day. And then the second day, God created, it was good. And then evening and morning, the second day, God created, it was good. Evening and morning, the third day, God created, it was good. Evening and morning, there's a rhythm, there's a cadence to it. And so you're, you're listening to it and there, there's a rhythm to how everything is working. And then you get to the creation of man on the sixth day and then God says, it's not good. And it's like, it's a scratch on, you know, well, you guys don't know what records are, but it's like a scratch on the record. Um, and, and, and you say, well, hold on, what's, what's happening here? There's something, and, and the whole point is the way Moses writes this in a rhythm is so that when he gets to chapter 2 and he talks about the creation of man, it's supposed to be like to kind of jar us a little bit out of that rhythm to say, well, hold on, something's wrong here. And well, what is it that's wrong? What's wrong is, is that everyone has a counterpart except for Adam. And the important thing that, that for us to understand is that God doesn't just say, because God could have just created woman and, and, and you know, and then every, God created man and woman and it was good and it kept going. But instead, God wanted Adam to experience something. And that's what I want to sidebar for a minute and talk about that. God wanted Adam to recognize his own need. Because if you notice, God has Adam name everything. He names every animal. He names every um, bird of the air, you know, fish in the sea. He names everything. And what he notices is that there, every animal, every species has its counterpart. And yet it says that there was no one, no helper comparable to him. So the whole point is, is that, well, what do I do? I mean, there, there's, there's, everybody has a Mr. and Mrs. except for me. Hmm, that's interesting. And there's something that God is doing, allowing Adam to recognize the fact that he's alone. Because God's going to bring him someone, and that idea of, hey, this is the person that I've been waiting for, was going to be what kind of cements the two of them together. And listen, I know that, you know, there's many here that are, that are single, and if I can talk to the singles for just a moment. Um, in Adam, and sometimes when you're single, you just wonder, especially if you've been single for a long time, and you wonder, I mean, is God, is God ever going to remember me? Can I, can I just tell you this? In Adam's life, the first step was for him to recognize his own singleness. And the reason is because we have a tendency as people to kind of obsess about finding the right person. We've got to find the right person. In fact, uh, I was researching this this week. There's over 1,500 websites that will um, help you, you know, find the right person for you and you put your profile in and do all that kind of stuff. But you know the weird part is and is that there's no website to help you become the right person. 
And see, that's the work that God has to do. That's the work that we have to be involved in, in becoming the right person, so God then can bring the right person to us. And see, God creates Eve and then presents her to Adam as his helper. Now, understand, before you think of the helper as like some kind of assistant, um, and, and maybe you're like me, I grew up with my stepdad, my stepdad would do all these projects around the house, so he would be, you know, I remember we built a, a deck on the side of our house um, when I was about 12. And I was like, well, you've got to help your stepdad. Okay, my, me helping my stepdad was like, I held the nails while he did all the work. So it's like, you know, he's hammering. Nail. Nail. Give me a screwdriver. I said Phillips. Well, you actually didn't say anything. You just said screwdriver. But here, there's a... That's it. That was like the whole day. It was like the most boring thing ever. But listen, when, so that, don't think of it in terms of that kind of helper. When, uh, the, the term, that term helper in Hebrew is the, the, the Hebrew word is Ezer Konegdo. It's actually two words. Um, Ezer Konegdo, E-Z-E-R-K-E-N-E-G-D-O. Ezer Konegdo. And here's what it refers to. Uh, that word helper, Ezer Konegdo, is most used of God in the Bible. In fact, I put one passage in your notes in Psalm 54. It says, Surely God is my Ezer Konegdo. God is my help. The Lord is the one who sustains me. So the idea here is that this friend, this Ezer Konegdo that God brings to Adam is his helper. Someone that's going to rescue him from being alone. And so God creates the right person and then brings her to the right person at the right time. And the idea here, my friends, is that you say, well, but being alone is so hard. Being alone is tough. Being married and being alone is harder. And so that's why, listen, if you're married, we need to do things that remind each other, that we remind each other that we aren't alone. And sometimes it's just simple things that we do. Um, when we had, you know, we just, uh, my daughter is, uh, will be two months old on Tuesday. And now the reason is, I tell you this, because like the first three weeks or so that she was born, I was doing all of the uh, shopping, like food shopping in the house, which meant there was tons of junk food. Uh, and my kids were thrilled. There was tons of junk food in my house. And, um, but I was, going to, I was going to Publix a lot, and I was attempting to cook. That did not go well. Um, you know, washing clothes. We have a lot of stuff that used to be white, and now is a shade of pink. Um, which, but anyway, so one of the, uh, in the first few weeks that um, Olivia, my daughter, was born, we, I was going to go to Publix, and I said, I said, Carrie, do you want anything? I said, I have four or five things I need to pick up. And she said, uh, no. And I said, now, um, you sure you don't want anything? I said, I'm going to get myself a piece of cake for dinner. I mean, not for dinner, for dessert, after, after dinner for dessert. And she's like, oh, no, I don't want it. Because Publix, if you know this, at least my Publix, they sell like the birthday cake, but they sell it just in one slice, which I have to buy it in one slice, because if I buy the whole cake, I will eat the whole cake. So I attempt to use some form of self-control just by one piece of cake. And so anyway, so I said, well, do you want me to get you? Because she really likes the cake. Too. I said, do you want me to get you a piece of cake? She's like, no, no, no. Uh, I don't want any cake. And I said, listen, let's be abundantly clear here. I'm getting a cake, piece of cake for me. If let's just say at some point in the evening you have a change of heart and you decide, oh, you know, I do want a piece of cake. It will be too late for you. Because I will have already bought a piece of cake for me. And I, I want you to understand, I love you. 
but I have no intention of sharing with you. This is your, and I said, but I'm willing to buy you your own cake so you can have your own feast of dessert, but I will not be sharing my cake with you. Do you understand? Yeah, uh, yes. Do you want a piece of cake? No. I said, Care, I just, I'm just trying to reiterate this because I know how it goes. You say you don't want one, and then you see mine, and then it's like, oh, why don't we share, and then I'm not going to share, and then you say I'm selfish, and I'm not really selfish. I'm incredibly generous because I'm willing to buy you your own cake. And so now, having said all of that, would you like me to get you a piece of cake? No, thank you. Okay. I go. I get my cake. We have dinner, bathe the kids, put the kids to bed, and then we're going to watch some TV. Uh, and I said, oh, wait, pause it. Let me go get my cake, and then I'm going to eat it while we watch while we watch TV. And then Carrie says, "Did you get me one?" And I'm like, "Care, come on!" And I'm like, "Well, she's like, now I decided I might want some cake." And I'm like, "This, this is exactly the problem." And so um, she's like, "Well, it's no big deal. We'll just share yours." And I'm like, "Whoa, double whammy! No, we're not going to share mine." This is why we had the whole conversation in the beginning. She's like, but now I want cake. Now you're out of luck. And um, so anyway, I go into the kitchen and I come out with two pieces of cake because I had I did buy her the piece. Yeah, I'm that good. Yeah, I'm really I'm. As I tell my wife, she's like, wow, you did that so nice. And I said, I really am quite something. Uh, And so (coughs) we still haven't figured out what, but I'm something. Um, but I get it, but I get the, the piece of cake and she's like, oh, you did it. You knew. And I said, yes, honey, I speak crazy. And, uh, and, uh, now here's the thing. Here's the thing. You can say that when you've been married 15 years. Um, now this is just like a simple thing. And you know what? It's like, it's one of these moments. It's like, I'm not alone. Even when I don't know what I want, somebody else knows what, what I want and can kind of figure, figure it out. My wife does this for me all the time. Um, you know, like I'll, I'll get up and, uh, you know, be um, like on a Sunday morning, I'm, I'm, I'm up pretty early and, and I'm reworking the notes a little bit because uh, I'm like, yeah, I don't like how that sounds. Let me do it a different way. And so I'm, I'm on the iPad here kind of, you know, doctoring up the notes a little bit, making it, making it better. And, uh, and then she's like, hey, you know, we got to leave soon. And um, what are you wearing? And I'm like, I don't know. Sweatpants? What am I going on? Sweatpants? You know, it's like, well, uh, I know you didn't think about it, but I have something all ready for you. I'm like, oh, thank you. And I mean, she just she does stuff like that for me um, when I haven't really thought it thought it through. Um, and, and there's other things for me like, oh, I got to go. And, uh, you know, and, and but there'll be a thing that I forgot. And then oh, I can't believe I forgot it. And she's there waiting like with the thing, you know. So but it's these things where we rescue each other. And we rescue each other and realize that we aren't alone. That's part of what being friends in marriage is. But there's something more that I want to show you, and it happens in the next couple of verses. Look at verse 21, pardon me. It says this in verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs, closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the second thing that I want to share with you about friendship in marriage. And that is that a friend in marriage compliments and challenges me. 
compliments and challenges me. It's not just one or the other. A, a friend in marriage does both. <laughs> when Adam says, this is now bone of my bone, it sounds kind of stiff in, in English, but um, in, in Hebrew, it's much more emphatic and passionate. Um, and it's like, in Hebrew, it's essentially, we could translate it, it, he says like this, at last. That's why he says, this is now. At last. This is the person I've been looking for all my life. And it's this very poetic way, when he says, bone of my bone, what, what is he saying? Uh, it's a very poetic way of saying, in you I see myself, and I see who I really am. It's, it, it's, uh, because no one knows you like your spouse knows you. That's why the words of a spouse can wound like no other words can wound. They can build up like no other words can build up. Now, there's a challenge um, that, that, that happens, and that is that he says, and I love what he says there, in, in, he says it in verse 18, he says it in verse 20. He says that there's no helper comparable. This idea of, of being comparable. Now, now what is that? Um, it's actually two it's actually two Hebrew words, that word comparable, it's, that we translate. It's two Hebrew words that one means like, the other means opposite. So if we would uh, read it again, like in verse 20, but for Adam there was not found a helper like him or opposite to him. And so it, the idea that, that this Hebrew word conveys is like, a, like puzzle pieces. That you have puzzle pieces that are like each other so that um, that you know that they're connected, but they're totally the opposite so that they can interconnect with each other. And so it's like Adam looks at her, at Eve, and he says, she is me, and yet she's the exact opposite of me. And that's part of the mystery of marriage, is two people who are similar enough to get together, but yet totally opposite in so many ways. Uh, m my wife and I are so similar in, in so many ways uh, we have so many of the same interests um, and things that we like, but yet there's other areas that we're just totally opposite. And in the areas that we're opposite are the areas in which that God is working on us the most. Um, you know, our backgrounds are very different. Um, I, my my family, both sides are Cuban, which means they're all totally insane. And um, Carrie's family is uh, is Native American uh, and Eastern European, which makes for a very interesting mix. Um, but it, 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 now it might not sound like a big deal, but when we first got married, it was like two worlds that came crashing together. Um, you know, my Cuban family doesn't call when they come over, right? They just, oh yeah, la puerta, you know, you know, like they just get in there and start, uh, they just get out of control the second that they walk in, you know, I mean, just like. Like a pack of wolves, you know, they get in there, you know, and uh, now and Carrie, I mean, we first got married. She's like, what is this? I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. What do you mean? This is what happens when people come over. She's like, no, this is what happens when the circus comes to town. And uh, so anyway, now, because Carrie's family, Carrie's family, they call to make an appointment like, you know, so she'll be on the phone and, and she'll say. Honey, um, my aunt wants to know, can she come over the third Tuesday of next month? My care, I don't even know if I'll be living in Florida the third Tuesday of next month. And I'm um, like, sure, why not? You know, um, and, and, and then this is just the weirdest thing. I mean, people would come over to our house like to have, for dinner and then she would write them a thank you note. 
to our family. I'd like to thank you for coming over. So nice. And, and, I'm, and I'm looking over her shoulder. She's doing this. I'm like, why are we doing this? Because this is, because she'd say, Robert, this is what it's like to have manners. And this, you, you thank people. And I'm like, you know what? I made them a steak. Why aren't they sending me a card in the mail? Thanks for the steak. Here's a gift card. You know what I mean? Or something. You know what I mean? Next time, I'll bring the meat. No, but So they came over, ate a steak, and now we're going to send them a thank you card? I'm like, Harry, are we living in like bizarro world here? And, uh, you know, and I'm telling you, this is just so different, right? The first time my wife and I went grocery shopping. I mean, I wish I had that on video. Um, it was, I mean, that talk about an eye-opening experience. We got into like three arguments. In the, by the time we bought the food, we had an argument over what kind of mayonnaise to buy. Because, you know, we came from two different homes. At, uh, at Carrie's house, they bought Miracle Whip. At my house, we bought Hellman's. And so, testify. Uh, <laughs> and, so, uh, and so, we were having this thing. She's like, well, I like Miracle Whip. And I'm like, well, that's because you haven't tried Hellman's. As the guy... Everybody likes, you know, sure, people like Pepsi till they've tried Coke. Then they never drink Pepsi again. And so, uh, and so, anyway, so I'm saying to her, I'm like, listen, I'm going to help you. We'll buy Hellman's. You'll never eat that nasty stuff again. And she's like, well, maybe we can buy two small bottles. I'm like, listen, we are not buying two. What kind of an animal do you think I am? Buying two bottles of, of mayonnaise. I'm like, you know, we can't do that. We're going to buy one giant jug, you know, of, of, of mayonnaise. And we just got to decide which one. And um, so anyway, I don't even remember which one we decided on. I just remember we got into like a thing over mayonnaise. And then we had a thing at the deli over what kind of deli meat is the best. And, uh, I, you know, and, and it turns out we were both wrong because Boar's Head is the best. And, uh, and then we got home. And, and, you know, and then, by the way, you're, you know, if you remember this, when you got married... You know, because you got your, like your apartment or your house or however it worked for you, and you had a fridge that had nothing. So you had to buy everything. And this is the whole thing. Like, and what kind of pickles do you like? And what kind of pickles do I like? And what kind of ketchup is okay? I mean, we had a whole thing on, you know, is it golden uh, mustard or is it French's mustard or is it, you know, Winn-Dixie mustard? And, you know, like, which is it? So you have this whole thing you're deciding what it is. Well, then we get all these bags. I remember... The, the, the receipt was like this big. I mean, it was like, <coughs> it was this humongous receipt. And, um, and so then we go to put all the groceries away. And so I start taking everything out of the bags and just putting it on the counter and then throwing the bags away. And she, st- she goes, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm putting away the groceries. She's like, no, you're doing something else. You're like, taking everything out of the bags, but you're not putting anything away. I'm like, well, I'll put everything away once I get everything out of the bags. She's like, Robert, let me explain something to you. Because oh, I said that, I said, this is what I'm doing. And then she goes, oh, you're one of those people. I'm like, oh, I didn't know we had a club. And, uh, and so she says, because this is how like normal people put away, gross, put away groceries. You take one bag of groceries and then you deal with everything in that bag. Then you do away with the, the, the bag, and then you, you, do an, you get another bag. I'm like, listen, Carrie, this isn't Christmas morning. Or we're just dealing with one present at a time. The whole goal of putting away groceries is to be done putting away groceries. That's the goal of this. So we're trying to get everything out of the way so we can put all this stuff away as fast as possible. And you say, well, how does it work now? 
Let me tell you how it works now after 15 years. And the only reason I started thinking about this was when I wrote all this stuff down. What I realized is, is that we bring all the groceries in and my wife disappears for like 20 minutes. I don't even know where she goes. My kids also disappear for like 20 minutes as I put away all the groceries. And it's right when I'm putting away like that last frozen pizza and I close it. She comes out. Hey, so what's going on? Like, where have you been? Around. Yeah. You know, and so that she uh, and I, I guess that's how we make it work. I mean, I just you, know, you want to put away the groceries. Fine. You will do it forever by yourself. And uh, so that's 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 how it works. But I'm telling you, one of the challenges that couples have is that they think that they're too different. In fact, one of the, the, the number one reason that people give for ending their marriage is they say, well, well, we just have irreconcilable differences. Let me just tell you something now on the front end. Every couple has irreconcilable differences. You're supposed to have irreconcilable differences because but the key is not to despise the differences. It's to celebrate the differences. And I'm not talking about, well, you know, I'm a Christian and she's something else or he's something else. No, the Bible already deals with that issue. That believers should marry believers and, you know, non-believers should do something else. But, you know, believers, Christians should marry Christians. So in issues of faith and belief, we need to be agreed. But in other areas, listen, God uses our differences to refine us, to mold us, to shape us, to become more like Jesus. When a, when a smelter is working with, with gold or silver, uh, and this is true as it was a thousand years ago, as true as it is today. And today the process is a little bit more... Uh, sophisticated, but it's still the same basic issues. That is, um, a, a smelter will work, will take gold or silver, and the whole issue is, I need to remove the impurities so that all that's left is something that's very, very valuable, this precious metal. And what they'll do is, they take it, they take this gold or silver, and they put it in fire. They take, they take it, they put it in the fire, and what comes up, what comes out of, of this gold or silver it are the impurities that get now scraped off and pushed away, and it's what is called dross. And so the dross gets pushed uh, and, and, and removed. This is one of the things, that the, one of the images that the Bible uses over and over to talk about how God changes us and transforms us, is how a smelter works with gold or silver. And in fact, Job, in his book, when he talks about God, uh, as he's going through the worst trial of his life, he refers to this process of gold being tested uh, in, in the fire. Here's what he, what he says. He says, he knows where I'm going, and when he tests me, I will come out as pure as gold. You see, the challenge of marriage is, is that because you are married to this person and you know them better than you know anyone else, they know you better than, uh, better than they know anyone else is that sometimes it's very easy to only see the dross, to only see the impurities that come out. But see, sometimes we forget that the whole reason the impurities come out is that God is using you to get rid of all that stuff, to work in their life through you, and to work in your life through them to get rid of all those impurities because, and this is the other thing, how does a smelter know that, that um, the gold or the silver is ready? Uh, because when, in, because he looks at the gold or silver and he knows that all the impurities are gone when he can see his own reflection. 
And my friends, that is the work that God is doing in your life and in mine. And he uses marriage as that fire to refine us, to transform us, to reshape us, to to mold us into the image of Jesus so that when he looks at us, he sees a reflection of himself. Well, look at what happens in verse 24 and 25. I want to show you one more thing. He says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Now, the last thing I want to tell you about marriage is this, that a friend in marriage is an intimate companion. An intimate companion. Listen, when you're married to your best friend, there are no secrets between you. There is nakedness. And I'm not referring to physical nakedness um, primarily. Nakedness is, is in, Hebrew, uh, in the Hebrew culture is an idiom for shame. That's why when this couple are together in Genesis 2.25, it says that they were naked and not ashamed. When sin enters the picture in Genesis chapter 3, it says their nakedness is revealed, shame enters, and they go to hide themselves. But this couple is naked and not ashamed. Instead, there's oneness and intimacy. Um, when The thing that's important for us to understand, this is so huge, uh, because without it, it will be very difficult to make marriage work, is to understand that this, this idea. That marriage, according to the Bible, is not romance with a side of friendship. Marriage, according to the Bible, is friendship with a side of romance. Because whether we you know, un- agree with this or believe it or not, beauty fades. I told my wife the other day, as I was, we were getting ready for this message, I said, baby, I'm not going to be this hot forever. You have to be ready for that. You have to prepare yourself for that. And <laughs> she laughed too, interestingly. Um, but listen, physical beauty fades. And you know, what's left is friendship and commitment, which is what marriage is built on. Uh, my wife and I have this thing that we do. We've been doing this forever, uh, that whenever one of us does something nice that's you know, kind of out of the ordinary. And it could be as simple as I got up, you know, to get myself a bottle of water. And I thought, I bet Carrie's thirsty too. And I get her a bottle of water. And she's like, I was going to get asked for you to get me a bottle of water. But then I didn't want to make a big thing. But then you brought me a bottle of water. Thank you. And then, you know, one of those things. And then, um, or I'll need to shave and I'll realize I don't have a razor. And I'm like, I need, you know, I look like Grizzly Adams. And I need to, nobody even knows who Grizzly Adams is anymore. I, gotta, I need a new illustration. Uh, you know, get out of the 70s, Bob. Um, so, but I'll need to shave and I, I won't have a razor. But Carrie's like, oh, I went and I, I just thought you might need razor. So I bought you some razor. Oh, you know, it's one of those moments. And whenever we have one of those moments, um, Carrie and I will just say, you know, just, just say, you know, I really like you. Um, because we say I love you all the time. But it's one of those moments to say, you know, I really, really like you. Um, and, and as you know, we, we, we still to this day, I mean, 20 years later, and we still say that to each other and laugh about it. And it's a small reminder that ever, that the foundation of everything is not just that we're married, but we're also friends. We're best friends because there's no other person we'd rather spend time with. There's no other person we'd rather be around. And so as we close, I want to share with you some things that will help you grow in your friendship if you're married. And this is going to help you tremendously if you're single and you say, I want to start, I'm going to find someone at some point and I want to start my relationship right. How do I do that? Um, 
you know, when I do get married. And l- let me give you these three things. Um, the first is this. It's in your notes. Number one, encourage each other. The Bible says this about friends in, in Proverbs 27. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. You know, too often we're loose with our words, and that's what gets us into trouble. Um, you know, your spouse comes home, and they look mad, and, you know, you say to them, what's your problem? You know, now, you could say that, or you could say this. Can I just encourage you to say this? Um, Hi, honey, what's troubling you? <coughs> you see the big difference? What's your problem? You know, honey, what's troubling you this fine evening? You know, I mean, it's, it's a big difference. You may throw in the, it's fine, this fine evening. It might help. Um, Maybe not. We'll see what happens. Let me know. Uh, but, you know, like, it's just sometimes, I'm telling you, we just have to use our words, be a little more articulate in, 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 our, in, our, in our speech. Um, like, you know, I've, you know, I've worked with so many people now over the last 13, 14 years. And, um, you know, the last thing that you want to do is say somebody, you know, you're talking to somebody, they're pouring their heart out to you, and you say, do you want to know what your problem is? Right. Like no crisis in the world has ever been solved, beginning with the phrase. Do you want to know what your problem is ever? Um, instead, you know, if if you're married, like I told you before, it, it, is you have the loudest voice in your spouse's life. You have the loudest voice in, in, in their life. They have the loudest voice in your life. It is a sacred position, a sacred trust that we have been given to build up and encourage our spouse to be everything that God wants them to become. And that's the challenge. Is to, is, you know, because I really believe that part of your job description, if you're married, is to become your spouse's biggest cheerleader. Whatever it is that they want to do, and you say, you know what, we can do it, you can do it, let's figure out how we're going to do it. The second thing is this. The first is encourage each other. The second is this, embrace each other. I put this passage in Ecclesiastes uh, it says this, two people are better, than one, are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm, but how can one be warm alone? Uh, one of the areas that marriages struggle is in the area of intimacy. Because men and women approach intimacy in very different ways. Now, I'm going to talk about this in, in much greater detail in the future, but I, let me just say this um, to, get, to get the ball rolling. Number one is, that, is to say that sex is important in every healthy marriage. Um, but guys, you've got to understand this. Your wife resents it when you ignore her all day, but then you give her your undivided attention when the lights go out. You know, uh, she, she resents that. Uh, ladies, if I can say this to you uh, and be bold enough uh, to, to share this, um, if you have a headache that lasts for six months, you need to go see someone. You know, um, it reminds me of the story of the guy um, who, when his wife got home, he handed her two aspirin and she said, what's this for? And, uh, and he said, it's for your headache. She says, I don't have a headache. And he says, gotcha. So anyway, guys, use that later. Um, but listen. One of the ways to measure the health of your marriage, one of the ways to measure the health of your marriage is to look at intimacy and things like that. You know, I, I love the phrase that the Bible uses for couples being intimate with each other. 
It's this, it's this, uh, it, it, it's such a deep idea, but it says this. I put it in your notes. It says, now Adam knew his wife and she conceived. Now, it says when Adam knew his wife, not that they shook hands. Hey, nice to meet you. Um, what's your name again? Uh, it wasn't that. But there's this idea of he knew his wife. There's a knowing that happens. And there really is a, a knowing and understanding that happens when a couple enter each other's embrace. And that's why the verses read that they were naked and not ashamed. Listen, that's the most vulnerable you're ever going to be. And that's one of the ways that a couple becomes one flesh. More on that in a future message. And then there's the third thing that I want to tell you, and that is sacrifice for each other. Sacrifice for each other. Jesus would say it this way. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. The only way that you will sacrifice, the only way that I will sacrifice, the only way that we will sacrifice for someone else is if we are willing to humble ourselves. If we're willing to deny ourselves something for the sake of our spouse. You see, the picture for us of how to sacrifice for each other is Jesus. We've been talking about this um, in in every message that we've given, that, that he is the perfect picture of the spouse because he is... Uh, because he is the bridegroom and, and we are the bride of Christ. And so, but listen, he humbled himself and died for us, willingly gave himself so that we could experience forgiveness and eternal life. And Because the gospel is a picture of a friend who's willing to give his life, sacrifice himself for his friends. My friends, if you want to be married, this is the model. If you want a marriage that lasts a lifetime, be the kind of friend that Jesus models for us that's willing to sacrifice himself for his friends and certainly for his, for your best friend, the person that you exchanged vows with before God, before each other, before your family, before your friends. But my friends, the truth of the matter is that you can't be that kind of friend until you know God because this is the foundation and the anchor of any marriage that's going to go the distance is for two people to love God, to give themselves to each other by giving themselves completely to the Lord. When a, when a couple completely give themselves to God, then what takes place is they draw closer together as they draw closer to Him. And my friends, maybe you're here and, and you, you've never made that decision. Maybe you know some stuff about God, but you've never invited Jesus to come into your life. You've never asked him to forgive you. You've never said, God, I'm, 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 you're the one that completes me. You're the one that brings me joy. You're the one that does all of that. And I'm not going to look at that in another person. And this is one of the reasons why couples struggle so much is because we're looking for this other person that we marry. We want them to be our savior. We want them to be everything. We want them to give us joy and purpose and meaning. And my friends, no one can do that except for God. And when we try to put someone else to the task of doing that, all we do is create an idol in our lives. And the truth of the matter is, they're not going to be able to do it. Because no one other than God can actually meet the need, bring the joy, complete us, bring us purpose and meaning and all of that. So if you're happily married, here's what I know is that you're not looking at your spouse saying, you've got to be all these things for me. Instead, you're looking to the Lord saying, God, you've got to be these things for me. 
and then I've got to be the very best friend to this husband or wife that I can be. And the more that we draw closer together, we'll experience that as we draw closer to Him. Because my friends, marriage at its core, at its foundation, is friendship. And the key to making this last is being the friend of God. The Bible says of Abraham that he was the friend of God. Jesus says to his disciples in the night that he was betrayed, he says, you are, I don't call you servants, I have called you friends. That's where it begins. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for that promise that, Lord, you want to do in our lives exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or think. That, Lord, you haven't left us. Instead, you promised us in your word that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that you'll never leave us or forsake us. And so, Lord, for those of us here, for those who maybe have never made a decision to follow you, to be forgiven by you, Lord, maybe today is the day. The day that they become a Christian for real. Not just knowing things about God, having gone to church a couple times. No, instead, coming to you, being forgiven by you, and being reborn by your Spirit. Listen, as we're praying together, and every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here and you say that today is the day that you want to make a decision to follow Jesus, then listen, this is the most important decision that you make in your life. And I want to invite you, I want to lead you in a prayer. The prayer is not a magic formula, but instead, what I believe is that the prayer might articulate what your heart wants to say to God. You just maybe haven't figured the right, found the right words. Maybe my words can help you with that. But I want you to just repeat this prayer. I want you to repeat it out loud because here's what the Bible says, that no one who calls on the name of the Lord, that he'll deny. No, instead, if you call on the name of the Lord, the Bible says you will be saved. God wants to save you. God wants to change your life. And as, and he'll do it. As, as you pray this prayer, God will begin the process of changing your life setting you on a trajectory that you couldn't even imagine because that's what he does he died for you because he loves you and so this is the opportunity that we have to say yes I'll receive the gift the free gift of salvation that you offer so if you're ready just pray just say dear God I open my heart I invite you inside to be my God to be my Savior, to be my friend. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. For I've decided today to follow you, Jesus. From this day forever, I'm yours. In Jesus' name.